You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. Ah. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and... Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, I'm Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks, Foul Weather, and Kitty Cornered. And I am working on a new book about birding, tentatively titled Featherbrained. And uh, I'll keep you posted on how things are going with the development of getting that book published. I have a great guest today, and uh, her name is Kate Sitka. And I met Kate on Twitter. And I love that because I tend to meet a lot of people on Facebook, but for some reason on Twitter, Maybe it's because of the sort of fleeting nature of the communications on Twitter compared to, you know, Facebook where they sit up there for a while and you can keep going back and looking at them. I don't tend to make as many friendships on Twitter, but I did connect with Kate and I'm absolutely glad I did. She's a wonderful person. She lives in Tofino in British Columbia on Vancouver Island. It sounds like an absolutely beautiful spot. Uh, Kate is an animal communicator and a spirit medium, and she has a website, and you can visit her website and find out about her podcast and her blog. There'll be links there. And her website, we'll mention this several more times, but her website is tofinopsychic.com, and let me spell that. That is T-O-F-I-N-O psychic. That's all one word, tofinopsychic.com. And so... Here's Kate. How you doing, Kate? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for that sweet introduction. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh-huh. Now, I don't want you to feel insulted, but I think our cat Tina was a little nervous about you coming on. Maybe she thought you were going to learn some of her secrets because just minutes before I called you, she wandered into the room and not three feet away from me used the litter box. So. Uh-huh. So anyway, if you uh, happen to tune into anything from uh, Tina, just uh, be kind. Oh, I'll tell Tina her secrets are safe. Okay, Okay, good. (laughs) Well, I hear the word, the phrase animal communication quite a bit, and I think it can mean different things depending on who the animal communicator is. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, how you sort of define it and how it is for you. Yeah, animal communication is, it's a really broad term. It can be as simple as the body language that animals use to communicate with each other and to, you know, signal what they want and need. That's animal communication. In my world, in my circle, animal communication is, a word used to describe uh, telepathic communication with animals, which is the exchange of thoughts and feelings between animals, between species. And uh, this is something that is uh, gaining some more awareness. It was something that was pretty well unheard of in the 70s. And so the original uh, grandmothers of animal communication, Penelope Smith and Sonia Fitzpatrick and a few others who really stretched their necks out there and put themselves out there and put all of their teachings out there, 
they have now created um, accessibility to this and more and more people are starting to uh, get a general idea of what it means to be an animal communicator or a pet psychic, which is another word that I'll use because when you use the word psychic, then people get um, a better idea of where you're coming from sometimes. Right. That was a great show Sonia Fitzpatrick had, too. I just love that. That was wonderful. You know, um, I didn't know what I was experiencing when I was a kid until I saw Sonia Fitzpatrick on Sally Jesse Raphael. Oh, okay. And then I knew. I saw her, and I was like, oh, that's what's going on. Well, I wanted to ask you how this started with you, how you knew that you had this gift, and then if it was something that you had to develop, and how you developed it. Yeah, well, it's, it's all three. So when I was a kid, um, my great-grandmother was psychic, and she was, she was really well-known uh, in Europe and in Germany in World War II. She made all of these amazing predictions about when, you know, how people were doing in the war and when they would come home and if they were still alive, and she was right. It was phenomenal. So I grew up with these stories about my great-grandmother, and because of her, I was watched very closely for signs of this kind of thing. But nobody knew what animal communication was. And so they were looking for me to be talking to, like, dead relatives and be saying things about, you know, family secrets and that kind of thing. And so when I would talk to my family about, you know, the squirrel saw this, the dog said that, then they, the irony of it was they thought it was just the active imagination of a kid. So I didn't really know that this was a talent or that this was something that what other people uh, could do or couldn't do naturally. Um, when you're a kid, you have your imagination, and you have to really be taught by adults what's real and what's not real. And so part of how I was raised was that these stories that I was telling about what the animals were saying to each other wasn't real. And my mom was quite worried about me for a while because uh, she seemed to think I had difficulty telling the difference between what was real and what wasn't. And I just had difficulty in understanding why you know, one thing that a person would say would be real and something an animal would say or relate wouldn't be real. It wasn't until I saw Sonia Fitzpatrick on Sally Jesse, and I was a teenager by that time that I realized that's what I'm doing, and it was a moment of just silent joy (laughs) and silent anxiety because at that point I had had so many conversations with people around that this stuff wasn't real. I was going to ask you, do you think, first of all, do you think maybe a lot of people have this ability, but as they grow they have it when they're young but as they grow they're kind of taught either explicitly or implicitly that they're imagining it and so they lose that ability or screen it out do you do you think that i think that's exactly what's happening it's certainly what happened with me uh, because by the time i realized that's what was going on then i went and sought out penelope smith and books and it took me 15 years of practice really before i started to get really good really good confidence so it's definitely took training with me and I wonder sometimes if I'd been raised in a culture where you know hunting was a more of a natural thing you know because we're so far removed from nature right now I think that more of a hunt you know the hunters just even a hundred years ago people that had to my father was raised hunting and so he would go he would talk to the neighbors how many rabbits do you need and he would go into the bush and you know find the animals that they needed to eat and I think that hunting is something that 
you know, would naturally tap into animal communication. So I think that right now we just have a culture that doesn't understand it and that trains us out of it. And I, I absolutely agree. And I think that there are a lot of sensitive kids and psychic kids and kids with animal communication tendencies and talents. And they don't, we just don't have a language for talking them to about it or for fostering it. The problems I've had when I have made my feeble attempts at doing this is my mind is so loud. You know, I have so much chatter all the time that, first of all, just the normal level of uh, mental noise tends to uh, drown out the more subtle things that I would be receiving from the animals. And then the other thing is I would kind of doubt everything that would come my way. Yeah, all totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> all totally normal. And one of the great places to start training and practicing is start meditating. Right. Because it's not so much about getting rid of all of that noise in your head. We all have it. And especially if you're a sensitive person, you're picking it up from other people. Yeah, I wondered so, about that. Yeah, so some of those thoughts and worries and emotions and stuff, it might not even be yours. So learning grounding techniques and protection techniques and, then, and meditation techniques, you can learn to cope with the noise that's in your head and be able to create a space for a period of time. So just for a couple of minutes, be able to move all of those thoughts aside and create that open space. And the thing with the doubt, the doubting what you get, that's totally natural. And I think how you get over that is by setting yourself up so that you can actually get confirmation when you're right. Yes. And, you know, so for some people, it's setting up animal communication groups and everybody exchanges photos and meditates with it or, you know, works with it for five or ten minutes. And then they just write things down and they exchange what they got. And it's all a non-judgmental place and everybody's practicing. But in that kind of an environment, you will, you can be able to confirm whether or not Taj likes spaghetti. <laughs> right, right. So you can get, and for me, I did this alone in the bush when I when I was a teenager. It was my my dog that was my first teacher, and so I always I spent a lot of time with her walking in the bush in northern Ontario. And she would drop her nose down and sniff, and then I would get a picture in my head of what the animal was. So you know, if I got a picture of a deer that popped into my head, and then I would go and see what she sniffed, or I would follow her, and we would find deer tracks. Oh wow! So then that can be. That, that was definitely confidence building that I had this secret and I didn't talk to anybody about it, but I knew that it was real. And I was enough of an adult at that point to know that no matter what anybody else had to say about it, that this is real. I knew that it was a deer before I saw the track. Yeah. So you can set yourself up to practice safely and it's the building the confidence that helps you to get over the doubt. Let's give your website again. Let's give it several times, and it's tofinopsychic.com, T-O-F-I-N-O, psychic, all one word, dot com. And you do sessions with people on the phone, right? People can hire you to do that. Yeah, that I do, absolutely. Almost all of my work is on the phone. Okay, good. So I just want people to know that they can take advantage of your, or not take advantage of exactly, but they can schedule a session with you if, we'll talk about what are some of the reasons that people ask you to help them with their pets? Oh, a lot of the time it's, um, there's three main reasons. One might be there's a behavior that is troubling. So there might be a cat suddenly peeing outside of a litter box is really common or a dog that seems to be lethargic or unhappy and they've taken the animal to the vet and the vet can't really find anything. Um, or, you know, an illness that they're having trouble with. Uh, and and the, another thing is if the animal recently passed away and they're missing their animal and, you know, sometimes they feel guilty that maybe they didn't do enough and they were, you know, worried did I, especially if they had to um, help their animal to 
cross over, you know, if they had to make that really difficult decision. Yeah. Sometimes the humans are really struggling with that, and so having a conversation with their pet that's now left their body can help to, you know, address a lot of their worries about how they experienced their passing, um, how they experienced their illness, and how much they understood. And a lot of the time, pet owners are so relieved to know that the animal understood a lot about what was going on, why they were taking that medicine. So it, it um, helps to bridge that gap of, of understanding. With the behavioral issues, a lot of the time it's just the animal is just confused about what is appropriate or inappropriate or what the human wants. So you can really jump over a lot of the misunderstandings that we have between species by just saying, oh, well, you know, the cat doesn't like where the litter box is, you know, or the other cat jumped on him once and now he's afraid to use that litter box. So you can get all just just understanding each other better. Um, it can relieve so much anguish in our life. And, and that's what I really love about, about doing it because it's so satisfying and it's so much fun too. They have so many funny things to say. Um, I wanted to, to mention too, since you're um, putting the website out there, to, for people to keep an eye on, on the website as well and to keep an eye on the blog because what I'm going to start doing is group pet readings. I did one last month and what it's like is it's a conference call so we'll have like five or ten people all on the same call. And we can all hear what each other's pets are doing. So we'll spend maybe 10 minutes with each person. And uh, and it was really entertaining. It was a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun, well. yeah. It was hilarious. And I loved it so much. I just had some technical difficulties. So I'm figuring out the technicalities of the conference call. And that's something I want to start doing on a regular basis. Wow. And it's a lot. My hourly rate is $150 an hour. And to participate in the uh, group pet reading is $50 an hour. So for someone that hasn't tried it before or is kind of curious about it, you know, that's a really great way to kind of try it and listen to what is going on with everyone else. And it was just a lot of fun, too. That, that sounds great. We're coming up. We're not quite there, but we're coming up on the 15-minute mark, so on the halfway mark. So I'll just take a break right now with uh, Kate Sitka. You are listening to What Were You Thinking? And uh, I'm Bob Tart, author of Enslaved by Ducks. Follow Weather and Kitty Cornered, and we will be right back after a couple of words from our sponsors. What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. 
Hey there, pet parents. This is Christy Vaughn, host of The Doggy Dish. Do you love your furry companion? Do you love making him or her healthy treats but can't seem to find the time? Great news. The Doggy Dish is the perfect show for you. Every episode is chock full of healthy and easy recipes that are made with ingredients you most likely have on hand. Tune into the Doggy Dish for yummy and healthy recipes for your canine kids. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Radio. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys. In my car? Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Hi, we're back with pet psychic Kate Sitka. Kate, here's a question I have for you, and that is animals have such a different way of looking at everything than we do because so much of their behavior seems to be kind of hardwired by instincts, things like that. And I always would think that if I could slip into the mind of an animal, that I would actually be kind of baffled by their different perceptions of everything and their kind of alien ways of looking at everything. So I'm wondering, when you communicate with an animal, are you communicating with the mind or are you communicating with the animal spirit? Or what is it you're doing so that you kind of get this clear communication with? That's, oh gosh, it's such a good question. There there are different levels to everybody's consciousness, and that, that could be a whole other conversation. When I'm communicating with a wild animal, which is what came to mind, I'll just, I'll tell you about the whales, and this will, I think, answer the question. We have whales that come up here every spring. And when I first moved out here, I asked the whale to show me his experience and what that experience was like for me is being drawn into the actual body of the whale and having the sensation of having this huge body and he shared the feeling of going down to the bottom of of the uh, beach of the the shallow area where he was scraping his big long cheek along the bottom of the ocean with the pebbles and the sand and straining all of this eelgrass through his big bristles his, his baleen and drawing out all of the herring eggs and the feeling of swallowing them and what it was like to be in his body and how good this food was. Because uh, in the spring migration, the gray whales that come up, they haven't eaten for months. They go down to Baja, Mexico in the winter, but there's no food down there for them. Um, so when they come back up, they're really hungry, they're really tired. So you know when you, you're starving all, all day, like maybe it's Thanksgiving and... You haven't eaten all day because you're waiting for that turkey, and maybe the turkey was an hour and a half late. So you're just that feeling of how good the food is and your body just coming back to life when you're eating that food. And the sense of how skinny he is and how fat he's going to become and how good it feels to eat. So it is an alien experience, but the, the experience of communicating with a wild animal that's a different species, you end up with such an incredible understanding of them and what their experience is. And that's another one of the things that makes me so passionate about it is I think that when people can practice this skill and experience what the animals have to share with us, that now we can relate to each other and now we can understand each other and we care about each other more. Oh, yeah. But you said, um, you sent me an email 
and um, you implied that there's really a lot of humor involved with this sometimes, too. Oh, yeah. I think of my friend Kathleen Sherman. She's an author. She wrote some young adult books called the Lockett's Meadow series, and she had told me about uh, losing a Muscovy duck that was really close to her, mm. but she, <laughs> she's an animal communicator, and she said, duck is even funnier now. That was his name. Duck yeah. is even funnier now that he's passed over. And I thought that was just a great comment. That was very funny. So do you find yourself hearing things that are comic from animals? And are they comic because they strike the animal that way? Or is it just how it strikes you? It's both. It's the, the contrast between how the animal sees things and the human expectation that we project onto the animals. The contrast between that is really funny sometimes. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes the animals have a sense of humor about what we do. And sometimes just the dynamics between them is funny. My, I mean, my current two pets have developed a little bit of a sibling rivalry since my other, I had four, and one cat and one dog passed away. And so there's a new dynamic now between the remaining two. And they have such a sibling rivalry, so I'll come home and the cat will tattle on the dog. And we'll say, you know, Hattie stole a sock and he put it in his bed. And that's just, that's just funny. Like, <laughs> the cat is, you know, tattling on the dog. And, you know, the dog is kind of like, oh, I, I stole a sock. So there's that kind of thing that's funny. And there's funny things that the animals just don't understand about the things that we perceive as barriers. Like, um, you know, sometimes one thing that really shocked me was one pet thought that their human should quit their job and just stay at home with them. And I agree we, with them. Yeah, and we were explaining, well, the human goes, you know, goes to work. It's like going hunting so they can bring home food. And the uh, pet was like, well, you get food from the store, so just go get <laughs> food from the store and bring it home. Like, it had no concept of... Uh, so, yeah, so there's so much humor in the work, which is why I really... <laughs> why I keep going back to it. It's so much fun. We told me to ask you about chickens. I, I love oh. chickens. We just lost our last hen oh, a few months ago, but oh. um, I, they're just great. They're so much fun. And what have your experiences been with chickens? My friend has chickens, and I love them so much. The first time, I just... I, I can't say enough about chickens. The most amazing thing I learned about chickens right off the bat is they see the world in psychedelic colors. Oh. And that was something the very first time I was talking with this one particular chicken, and she was showing me through her eyes how she sees the world, and it was like seeing these energy trails off of everything, and the colors were so bright, and everything was moving. And she was showing me that she could see the energy trails that the insects leave, and that's how they find insects in the garden. Oh, they, wow. You know, it's clear as day to them where the insects are, and where they've been, so they, it's very easy for them to find and pick all of the insects up off the ground. And I was telling this to my friend, who was, who was very skeptical. She's a respectful skeptic, and I, I love skeptics because they're the ones that go out and do the research. And uh, a few months later, she sent me an article uh, by a study that had just come out, and uh, they had just discovered that chickens can perceive the electromagnetic fields left by insects, and this was something that was previously unknown, and the timing of it was so serendipitous. Of course, yeah, that's great. This to my friend, and that for her, that was her, you know, holy crow, there's really something going on with this. So chickens are, like, I haven't run into a different bird species yet that experiences the world like this. With eagles, it's like they've got power binoculars, you know, on. They can go, they can look very far away, and they can, they can go super close up. But chickens are the ones that seem to see the world in technicolor. Wow. Um, and well, they have these egos and this, this pride to them about how good they are at laying eggs. 
um, there was this one hen that was ostracized that was fairly hen packed and there was the she was the only one of her particular breed and there was um, three australorps that were kind of ostracizing her and they thought her name was hen they thought that hen wasn't a very good mother or was you know they didn't give her any credit for laying eggs they thought they were the best egg layers and they had, they had kind of this ego about it and uh, so that that's why tony uh, my friend tony brought me on board with her flock because she wanted to alleviate the stress that hen was feeling wow. in the flock and it it worked she started eating and she started standing up for herself more and she's the matriarch of that whole flock now well maybe you can help me with something and not a psychic thing just an insight that you would have as far as my relationship with our ducks and geese mm -hmm. and i was just talking to linda about this yesterday that we've had some of these animals for 15 years and wow. yet they are still basically afraid of us. I mean, I can walk among them, but I think a lot of it is just because, you know, in the world of um, ducks and geese, the biggest bird is often the bully, mm -hmm. or at least is the alpha bird. I know there's exceptions, but I think that that is the way they might first perceive it. And we are so much larger than them. And I get so frustrated because the only time we've ever chased any of them is if we have to corner them to medicate them. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm very quiet when I'm out there. I try to give them their space. And yet, if I just move a little bit too quickly, sometimes the geese will run like, oh no, this horrible monster is after <laughs> us. And I just get frustrated because I just wish that they were a little bit more trusting. Because, like I say, I really try and go out there with a, a nice calm attitude. I, I wonder if you have any suggestions. There's, oh, there's a couple of things. When I was a kid, um, how I would get the wild birds to come is I, I just went and sat out there for hours, and I would be perfectly still for hours. So if um, you're, you're always moving, then they're always keeping a wary eye on you. So if you have the time in your adult life to, you know, go out there once a week and just sit perfectly still for two hours, you could probably practice your meditation. Yeah, right. While you're doing it too that when you condition them and help teach them that sometimes when you sit down, you don't move for two hours and they can relax around you. Oh, that's interesting. So that's, that's the thing I'd suggest. And another thing to maybe make you feel less bad about scaring them is moving as a flock is a really satisfying activity for them. And one of the things that stimulates them to move as a flock is the movement of something in their environment. And so you're in a... In, Another way to look at it is you're offering enrichment to them. You're giving them something to react to. Oh, okay. They all react as a group. It, it's actually a productive activity for them. Yeah. So it's I, not necessarily that they're feeling stressed in that moment. It's that you've given them the opportunity to react to a stimulus in their environment, and they're fulfilling their duckness and their gooseness by um, flittering away as a group. Oh, okay. All right. I remember uh, hearing something Eckhart Tolle said, and he was saying about how he likes it that if a couple ducks have a quarrel, one of them or both of them, after the quarrel is over, they just kind of shake their feathers and they go on, and it's kind of like they've shaken that bad energy out, mm -hmm. and then they, they just get on with their life. So maybe it's something like that, too, that even though it sticks with me longer and I go into the house feeling guilty about it, you know. The, 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 They're not thinking about it. No, as soon as it's happened, it it's, it's over. All. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's interesting that when you observe that shaking off behavior, that behavior you can see in animals across the board. So if dogs have just had a tussle, they'll shake it off and then just go. You can teach that behavior. You can train that behavior in dogs. If you've got a nervous dog like mine, I trained him to shake like that on camera oh. because that triggers his brain to just, oh, just relax and get over it. Wow. Because he could get really um, obsessed about barking at something. 
you know, so training him to do that shake on command, it just, you know, unlocks his brain and it makes him relax. So you can take advantage of those calming signals. It was Linda Tellington Jones that first identified a lot of those calming signals. Let's give your website again. We have about five more minutes. And it is, um, am I saying it right, Tofino? You totally are, tofinopsychic.com. Okay, and that's T-O-F-I-N-O, psychic, all one word, dot com, tofinopsychic.com, talking to Kate Sitka. What do you think the best way is for people just to start understanding their animals a little better, or their pets? the best way is to spend time with their animals quietly. I yeah. Mean, I, I started by walking my dog in the bush. So if you can, if you've got a dog that you're walking, walk the dog in a natural environment and don't be listening to, to podcasts <laughs> Right. in that moment. Right. Because um, I love consuming that media, but you need to create that, that space. And for some people, meditation is very difficult, so you need to move your body first. So um, sometimes exercising, get, get a, a sweat up for a good 45 minutes, then go sit down and you'll find that it's, it's a lot easier to be quiet. So creating that, that quiet space in your life is really the best thing. And if you don't have a pet, then go out into, into nature and just go sit, sit quietly in a backyard, sit quietly in the park. You know, even in cities, there are squirrels and, and birds and there are cats that are around. And uh, just sitting quietly on a park bench and letting your sensory perception go out. And you might find that you pick up on people first and strongest because people put out so much energy. Uh, so if you're if you're in a city, you might be picking up emotions and, and tension from people. So you might first need to be practicing um, grounding techniques and protection techniques before you can create that space to really feel safe opening yourself up, which is a really essential practice as well. So Reiki and therapeutic touch and these practices teach, they all teach the basics of grounding and protecting yourself. So uh, first, of, first of all, I would suggest getting into grounding, protecting yourself, meditation, and then look at opening yourself up to the communication because you want to set yourself up for success. I think people do have a lot of energy that they don't even realize how much they have. One of the times that I had some su- success with animal communication was with my cat, Franny. Mm-hmm. And she was a very skittish cat. And one day I had this really strong feeling that she was just getting all this push of energy from me that would intimidate her sometimes when I was trying to go up to pet her because she didn't really like to be petted. And I just felt like I was throwing off this energy that was pushing her away. And so I had to kind of learn to relax more around her, and it, it really helped. Yeah. Oh, that's so good that you got that, and that changed your relationship. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. did. That, that's one something that comes up in our sessions sometimes, is why doesn't my cat like me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know what you need to do is you need to sit still, and, you know, my cat doesn't particularly like being manhandled, and so I invite her over to be petted. Right. And I'll make a sound, a little, little uh, clicking sound in my mouth, and I'll rub my fingers together. And if she wants to be petted, she'll come and get it. And if she doesn't, then I leave, I leave her be. And but I, you know, the thing was, I was never even that particularly aggressive with Franny as far as chasing her to try and pet her. Mm-hmm. But I think it was still an intention I had mm-hmm. and that she felt that intention. And yeah. so I had to just give up on it. And then, you know, eventually she started coming up to me. Yeah, that you have an agenda. Yeah, and I did. You know, yeah, and instead have it be something she can offer you. Yeah. So wonderful. 
Well, we are out of time, and it has been fabulous talking to you, Kate. It's been so fabulous. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me on. I'm talking to Kate Sitka, and please visit her website. She has links to her podcasts and to her blog, and it is tofinopsychic.com, T-O-F-I-N-O-P-S-Y-C-H-I-C.com, and uh, lots of great stuff there. So thanks to Kate. Thanks to my producer, Mark Winter, and thanks to everyone who is listening to the show and you can email me at bob at petliferadio.com. Thank you. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.